Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. We live in what Pope Francis has called a throwaway culture. This exists on a large scale with issues like abortion and euthanasia, but it also can be seen in a world driven by busyness and consumerism. Today in the podcast, we're talking about how we're called to be good stewards, to live out gospel values, and how to reclaim a vision of wonder when we look at creation. We are welcoming to the podcast Haley Stewart, whose blog, Carrots for Michaelmas, is one of my longtime favorites of Catholic blogging and has been an inspiration for me when it comes to living out the feminine genius in my daily life in today's culture. So Haley, welcome to the show. So great to have you on here. I'm so excited for this conversation. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I follow you on Instagram, and I've seen recently that you dyed your hair purple. Purple is yeah. on my to-do <laughs> list, <laughs> my hair bucket list, and so oh, I loved it. It looks really good. It looks beautiful. Oh, thank you. It was like part of my um, third trimester survival <laughs> tactics of like getting through this Texas summer. <laughs> a million weeks pregnant, but thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) It's a good way to cope. It's a good one. (laughs) For people who haven't had the chance to encounter you um, through media, through social media, can you tell us just a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Sure. Um, Well, I grew up in a Protestant Christian home Mm -hmm. and um, then left for college. And at that point had some questions about my faith that I was trying to get answered, I was kind of wrestling with where I was going to end up. My um, husband, Daniel, followed me out to the university that I went to, and we were both reading all kinds of great stuff in college, everything from, you know, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Augustine, um, the early church fathers, and that was really transformative for us. And we started asking a lot of the right questions and finding answers. And so then we got married. And after our first child was born, we were received into the Catholic church. Mm. And, um, so now we have three kids, one on the way, very, very soon (laughs) to be delivered. Hopefully I won't be overdue again. And we live in Waco, Texas now And my husband works with at-risk youth at a local nonprofit, and I do blogging and podcasting and writing books and speaking and all that to keep me busy. We're going to be talking about (laughs) a book that hasn't come out yet. We're kind of on the edge of our our seats to get a copy of it, and it's called The Grace of Enough. And we're talking about living well, being good stewards of what the Lord's given us. And Pope Francis has been a Pope that has written about this a lot and started a lot of really beautiful conversations, I think, in today's culture. Um, And he writes that, quote, human beings are themselves considered consumer goods to be used and then discarded. And we've created a throwaway culture, which is now spreading. And that's the end of the quote. Can you kind of explain for listeners what the term throwaway culture means and where we see kind of it in our daily lives as Catholics? Sure. It's one of those things that once you kind of get a feel for it, you just start seeing it everywhere Mm -hmm. all over the place. So it's really just as simple as the idea of being exploiters and users of things and people instead of loving and honoring people the way God intends us to and um, honoring his creation that he made. And so it can be big things. It can be small things. You know, it like extreme example would be abortion or euthanasia where we are like literally throwing away people, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, because it inconveniences us or, 
you know, for some reason, um, we cannot honor the dignity of that human person. And so that's like an extreme example, but then we can see it anytime we use another person or, um, exploit God's creation instead of giving those things the honor that they deserve because of, you know, the image of God on human beings and the earth as his creation. And so it can be something as small as, you know, like wasting our food or overspending on crap we don't need. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, I think it's something all of us struggle with to some degree. And when we start kind of thinking in that perspective of, okay, we can look through these consumerist lenses at the world, or we can change the lenses that we're wearing to the gospel and start seeing how that's kind of been seeping in to the way our perspective and how we can shift that perspective. Yeah. Do you think from your perspective that this is something that Americans particularly can kind of struggle with, given the fact that like we have a culture that that uses the human body for advertising in an exploitive way. We also have this size of like, you have to, the bigger is better. This drive for success is kind of this worldly definition of who has the most money in a bank account. Yeah. I mean, I think that in our culture of excess, it, you can just see all of this very, very clearly. But I think also because we've swung so far in that direction and have been left unsatisfied, that now is a really good time to be noticing this and seeking something different because even the secular world is really seeking something more satisfying. You know, I think about like the tiny house movement or, you know, all of these things that aren't religious movement. People are saying, well, I know that the giant McMansion thing didn't make me happy. Right. So like, where can I go now? And it's like, as Catholics, we're like, over here, the gospel. We have the answer. I think that in some ways, especially millennial culture, which mm-hmm. kind of grew up during this affluent season and then saw the recession, I think a lot of millennials are saying, okay, we know this stuff didn't make our parents happy. We just don't know where to go from here. That's a really good point. I first noticed when kind of the secular world was seeing there that there's an emptiness in things when minimalism be kind of hit mm-hmm. the secular way. It's like, wow, this is like ways that Catholics have lived for quite a while in a very deep, rich spiritual sense. And that's now hitting kind of like the secular world is like this is this is one way an answer to this overindulgence. And so, yeah, it's really mm-hmm. fascinating to see Like you know that this is a deep pervading problem when even the secular world notices that something isn't quite right here. Right. We're saying our stuff is not sparking joy in us. <laughs> we'll get rid we of it. This. <laughs> so you and your husband, Daniel, and your family, this is so beautiful. I loved following along with this journey when you blogged about it. You guys left everything kind of conventional behind and you moved to a 650 square foot apartment on a working farm with no flushing toilets in central Texas. Can you talk about what led to that decision, what that decision process looked, especially for you and your husband to talk about? And what did you learn about surrendering your plans during that moment of transition? Yeah, well, you know, transitional periods are the worst. They're just the absolute worst. We had just had our third baby. Mm -hmm. We were kind of coming up for air. We were living in Florida, and my husband had like a nine to five job that did not pay great, but we did get health insurance. You know, it was like a stable job. It wasn't a well paying job, but it was stable. Um, And we were just kind of stuck in this cycle of not having quite enough to live on, but having, you know, we have a family. And so if one of us, one of the other of us tried to work more hours, 
it seemed like we still weren't getting ahead because then we needed to eat out more or we needed, you know, there wasn't really a way to save more through working more. It was Mm -hmm. like this weird cycle. Um, And so we realized, okay, we don't want to be in this cycle of reaching for affluence um, because we don't feel like this is good for our family life. And we still don't feel like this is, um, you know, getting us where we want to be as a family and the things that we value. So where do we go from here? And we were thinking, okay, like we'd love to have a farm and like live out in the country with our family growing food, but we don't know how to do that. And (laughs) we can't (laughs) afford to buy land. And so we'd just be setting ourselves up for like a huge failure. Mm -hmm. So that's not a good idea. So we're just trying to figure out how can we like switch gears when we feel so stuck? We looked into this internship at a, at a farm in uh, outside of Waco, Texas. And it was, it's like a not really paid internship. They give you a stipend to help you with your health insurance and then you get room and board. And we just thought, Hey, if we sell our house in Florida, then we can have enough to get by during that year and just have this experience as a family. See, do we want to farm? Where do we want to go from here? We know we want to go somewhere different from where we are. And so we started to do that. We sold our house. We um, moved out to this farm with our three little kids. Our oldest was six and we had a three-year-old and a two-year-old at the time. And like thinking back, I'm like, this is so crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But it just seemed at the time, like what would be crazy is to stay where we know we aren't happy. Mm -hmm. You know, we know this is not the life we want to be living. We want to pursue something different for our family in that light, it didn't seem so crazy anymore. So we moved out there and it was a year long internship and it was really an amazing experience for, for us as a family. What was people's reactions when you told your friends and family, like we're, we're selling the house, we're going to move down to Texas for a year to live on a farm and an internship. (laughs) Did they think you were like, what are you doing? (laughs) I feel like our, our families know that we're a little bit crazy, so I don't know that they were like super surprised, but um, I think a little bit concerned just, you know, for our welfare. And for the most part, our friends were very supportive. And what was really interesting to me is as a blogger, you know, I'm kind of sharing this story with my readers, and I was kind of expecting a mostly mixed bag of reactions, you know, like a lot of people being like, wow, that seems really irresponsible. Or are you sure you're going to be able to feed your kids this Mm -hmm. year? You know, that sort of thing. And there was a little bit of that, but like 99% of the feedback I got was people saying, oh my gosh, I wish we could do this. Like, I am so inspired by this. I like, this is what our family wants to do too. Like, we just want to get out of this grind we're in into something different where we're spending more time as a family and we're living a more simple life. Like this is so attractive to us. Mm -hmm. And so that was really interesting and interesting to see that we weren't the only ones that were feeling dissatisfied in this kind of like rat race life. Yeah. Um, And that a lot of other people were like, I want that breath of fresh air too. Do you have any tips for listeners? Maybe they're like, oh, that's me too. Like that would be so great. I would love to get out of the cycle of constantly like this daily grind of seeing my success as a paycheck or getting this caught in this, this like you said the cycle of affluence can you give any tips and hints to how we can kind of get back to the basics and reassess our lives to see 
where the throwaway culture has affected us like when you're talking about kind of the definition of the throwaway culture you said it when you recognize it it you'll you'll see where it's at in your life are there questions that you can think of that would be good to kind of use to reassess you know it's tricky because everybody's situation is going to be a little bit different mm-hmm. and so i can't like be like here's my five point plan that's right. going to work across the board <laughs> for all families or you know anyone listening but i think that we have to get out of the mindset of what is expected and what everyone else is doing um as if well there's no other way to live your life yeah um and i think that I mean, even now we don't live on the farm anymore. We bought a little house in Waco, Texas, and it only has one bathroom and there's about to be six of us. <laughs> and I've had a lot of people be like, well, that's just insane. Like we could never, you know, there's only three of us, but we can never survive with one bathroom. And it's like, well, you know, you can, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you would actually be fine, you but make it, it would be less convenient right. and there'd be times when more than one person has to pee at once and someone <laughs> has to wait and it's annoying, you it's know, true. but it would actually probably be mostly like your life now just minus a bathroom yeah you know but we're so um I think we're so used to certain comforts that it's just so hard to imagine living without them um and that's what we're expected to do and that's what everyone is doing so to kind of get out of that and say well what what do we really need you know I love having a flushing toilet now after not having one (laughs) for a year at the farm. Like I love my flushing toilet, but my life hasn't like really improved that much. Mm -hmm. It's not really that different. It doesn't feel that different. I'm not, you know, a certain percentage happier because I have a flushing toilet and before I didn't. (laughs) And so I think it's just, you know, when you kind of step back and you're like, Hey, let's do something kind of crazy. Let's move. Let's just have one car. Let's just have one bathroom. Um, let's simplify. I think that you realize yeah, I, I really honestly didn't need that. It's kind of like giving something up for Lent that you think yeah. like, there is no way I can give up Netflix for Lent. There's just no way I'm going to die. This is going to be <laughs> terrible. And then like three weeks in, you're like, oh, I mean, I miss Netflix, but my life is actually pretty much the same as it was before I gave up Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know, you realize like, I don't really need that to be happy. So I think it's that change in perspective of like, what do we actually need and what are conveniences and wants? And um, understanding that our happiness is not going to be, you know, we're not going to be fulfilled or satisfied by these things, no matter what they are. Yeah, you write that, like, it's easy to believe that in this book, this easy to believe this live, like, once I have fill in the blank, I'll be happy. Like, for me right now, we live in a, a little duplex that does have one bathroom. And we had a friend stay um, the month with us. And it was like, oh, once I once I have two bathrooms, I would be so much more content. And so this is just like, once again, like I record <laughs> the podcast episodes that I need to hear, dang it. Um, <laughs> but it's so easy to buy into that. Or like once I have this, once whether it's a bigger paycheck, my own house, my, a better car. And how did that move that we're talking about? How did that move teach you about the grace of just simplicity? Having less space meant we had to have a lot less stuff. And mm-hmm. so knowing we were moving into 650 square feet meant that we needed to get rid of at least half our stuff. And I think we ended up getting rid of about two thirds of Mm. it. Um, and, and it's funny because I didn't even think of us as like 
stuff people, like the sort of people who are over consumers and buying all this stuff. But I think we never think of ourselves as that person because we yeah. always oh, yeah. to someone else who's <laughs> like more of an over consumer than we are. And so it was interesting, you know, going through all this stuff as we were packing, knowing we could only take the essentials and just realizing like, gosh, have we ever used that lemon squeezer like ever <laughs> once? I mean, just all this stuff we'd acquired over, we'd only been living in that house four or five years and it was just filled with stuff. Um, and so realizing having less means your stuff is owning you less because there's less of it to be dealing with and maintaining and thinking about taking up mental space. Um, and so that just owning less stuff was really huge. I feel like for my, my well being, especially as, as a mom, you know, moms are the ones that have to deal with everybody's stuff. Mm, <laughs> so true. having less was in some ways a sacrifice, but in other ways, a huge blessing, um, getting down to the basics of what we needed and trying to focus on, okay, so we're not bringing in a big paycheck right now, but we've got this farm outside and we can go on a walk with our kids on a beautiful farm and seeing like, this is like, this is the good stuff right here even if it's not the kind of exciting high flyer thing that yeah. as we imagine that we want or need. And so I think just going back down to the basics and realizing, yeah, that's, that's true. Like this is all we need is very, very freeing. I think good for our, our mental health and our relationships and all of those other things so that we can focus our attention where it needs to be and not on these things that are kind of holding us back. Yeah, that makes sense. When you were going through your house before you moved and getting rid of two thirds of your things, did you have a system? Like, do you have tried and true chips for listeners who are like, oh, yep, I need to probably go through that closet because I mean, like, we're getting ready to move here in a couple of months. And it's like, there are boxes we haven't unpacked. Do we really need what's in those boxes? So do you have any tips for that process itself of the decluttering? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I am not a very good homemaker, so I don't want to give the impression <laughs> that like, oh, I like follow my organizational tips because they like, don't exist. <laughs> um, but I, this is kind of how I thought about it as I was going through stuff is like, is this item worth the space to move it all the way to Texas and then have it there? And so I think that even if you're not moving, that's kind of a good perspective as you go through your stuff. Um, also I am easily overwhelmed. Mm. And so I would take like one section of a room at a time, instead of looking at like, I'm going to look at all the books in the house. I would look at, okay, here's the bookshelf I'm going through right now. Or, you know, here's the closet of clothes I'm looking through right now. And just considering, okay, is this definitely going to get used? Can I just give it away to a friend who could use it? So I think just going section by section is helpful for those of us who are easily overwhelmed. And um, I haven't read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, I think it's called. Yeah. But I know that one of her ideas is that you take everything out of a space first mm -hmm. and then decide whether you want to put it back, yeah. whether it's worth putting back. And I think that's really smart. I think that that's something I ended up doing, even though I hadn't read her book, is just taking everything out and then oh, well, what, what do I want to put back? It takes a lot more effort to decide you want to put something back in the closet yes. than it does to, um, 
you know, just sit there and look at it and decide, do I want to remove that? You know, that seems mm-hmm. like so much of a bigger deal. Right. Um, and then there's a, there's a book by Tish Oxenreiter called Organized Simplicity that I think is really helpful for those of us who kind of need a more organized guide of going through our homes and looking, um, looking at our stuff that way, um, step by step. So that's a good resource for decluttering as well. The goal is to simplify your life and feel freer, mm-hmm. not to like make decluttering itself into like this thing that stresses us out exactly. as like this <laughs> whole other thing to be like, um, to complicate our lives. You know, so it's always easy. I feel like to obsess over the, the thing that's supposed to help us mm-hmm. and make it into a whole nother thing to be, you know, stressed, stressed out, about. out about. Amen. That is so true. <laughs> What did your time um, at the, on the working farm with the internship teach you about loving the earth as God has give, the God has given us and being a good steward? And when we've been talking about Pope Francis and his beautiful writing in Laudato Si is incredible, but how can we take that down and put it into our daily lives as Catholics today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things that I feel like I personally really grew a lot in at the farm was just learning to love God's creation, you know, just being outside on this farm and just learning about different plants and learning about, you know, the specific land in central Texas, what kind of wildflowers grow here and just being kind of amazed and getting to walk around seeing through my children's eyes, which are always like eyes of wonder Mm and everything and like seeing, they see beauty and everything. And so kind of getting to see through their perspective and realizing, oh, that needs to be my perspective too. Um, there's a quote, and I'm probably going to get it wrong. I quote it in the book, but from Laudato Si, Pope Francis talks about how the world is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be contemplated with joy. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but I love that, that instead of seeing it as, okay, God's creation and the environment and all of, there's all these problems to fix. That is true. But beyond that, God's creation is made out of love for us and should be viewed through eyes of wonder. Mm -hmm. And if we start with wonder at the beauty of God's creation and this like worshipful, awe-inspired attitude, then we can move from there to well, how do I worship God by caring for creation? How can I make sure I'm not exploiting and um, taking resources away from other people and destroying these things that God has made? So I think that that was, for me, the big lesson of, okay, first, learn to see creation through these eyes of wonder, and then we can move on from there to the practical steps you can take in your individual life, in your individual circumstances. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of a quote I've been reading a lot about G.K. Chesterton lately, and he talks about how when you're a little kid, you have this desire to see things done again, like the exact same way. So like when you're a little kid and you're like being swung up in the air by your dad and you want to do it, he's like, do it again, do it again. And how he talks about how God in creation has this heart of a child and this beautiful simplicity where maybe all the daisies don't look the same because God didn't have any imagination, but maybe because he has this beautiful childlike heart where he wants, he wants to do it again. Um, 
And I love that because he says it may not may not be automatic necessity that all daisies are alike. It may just be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. And going back to that, that awe and that wonder that's so easy to lose, especially when you aren't aware of it or you live far away from it. And it's kind of this thing, you know, a distance away from you and just really being aware that nature is absolutely beautiful and it takes time to pause and see it with those eyes of wonder. Mm -hmm. And I think that that you hit on something really key. There is the time. Yes. Um, Like this was this year where we spent on the farm. We had the resource of time for the first time in years and years and years. And so I think, until we slow our lives down, which is so hard Mm -hmm. because life moves so fast. Like you have to be so intentional in order to slow your life down. Um, But once we were able to do that to some degree, that resource of time together and time to be outside, just time to notice God's creation was really huge for not just, I think, ordering our view of creation a little bit, more clearly, but also just learning to feel like a human being again. Yeah, makes makes total sense. (laughs) It makes total sense. I think too, when it comes to time, one thing that we can see in a world that's driven by consumerism, where the expectation is busy is good. Like how many times do we say, oh, how are you doing? And you respond, oh, I'm busy. As if that's like this alternative to like, oh, I'm good. Thanks for asking. It's like, oh, I'm busy. The one thing that we can see suffer is our relationships with human beings as well, uh, whether that be Mm -hmm. our community that we live around, our community and our church lives. Um, And so just this other way that we can pursue this this life of radically living out gospel values is just to connect with human beings. And that sounds so simple. But in some ways in our culture, this is what we've forgotten about. So after you your time on the farm, you and your husband decided to stay in Waco, Texas. What did that move after your time in the internship? teach you about community. You talk about this in your book about two ways, about in your neighborhood and about your church community. What ways can we practically go about creating and investing in community in our daily lives as Catholics? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, most of us don't live on farms (laughs) where we could just, you know, wander the farm or live with other people on a farm. Um, Most of us live with neighbors in some kind of town or neighborhood, or even if we live out in the country, we have neighbors nearby. And so we moved into a lower income neighborhood in Waco. And an interesting thing about just the dynamic in a lower income neighborhood is people like talk to each other. (laughs) Like (laughs) you don't just drive into your garage and close the door and walk into the air conditioning. Nobody has a garage because all of these houses were built in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And so people are like outside. Their kids yeah. might be playing outside. They might be walking around. Not everybody has a car. And people talk to each other. And I was like, oh, well, this isn't like any neighborhood I've ever <laughs> lived in. Um, but it was really, really good for me to see like, oh, yeah these are the people that I live next to. Mm-hmm. I should know their names. I like, thinking back to our neighborhood in Florida, I knew one neighbor's name yeah. and it was just because he was kind of an angry man that was like <laughs> a big personality. And we'd always be like, Oh yeah, that guy. Ah, um, <laughs> I didn't know anybody else's name. Like not even my other next door neighbor, mm-hmm. which just sounds at now it sounds crazy, but I think that's a very typical experience oh, yeah, very much for so. a lot of us. Um, and so 
being in this neighborhood where, yeah, people know each other's names. Um, kids actually play with other neighborhood kids, which is something that is different. Um, it, it was just very challenging to me to realize, yeah, I'm part of a bigger community. I need to give people the time of day and slow down my life enough where it's not going to like completely ruin my afternoon schedule to have a 15 minute conversation with a neighbor Mm -hmm. when they're walking past my house. Um, and so I think that has been really good to just realize, Hey, like I'm, I'm part of this greater community. I need to know my neighbors, know how I can help my neighbors understand their lives. Um, and then it's been funny because my husband went to one neighborhood association meeting <laughs> just to like be like, oh, well, we should be more involved, you know, see how we can help the neighborhood, see what's going on. And he texted me partway through the meeting and was like, um, I was just voted in as the president of our neighborhood <laughs> association, <laughs> which like if you know him is really funny because he is like a super responsible grown-up person Mm -hmm. but he does have like lots of tattoos and like I I feel like on first glance he wouldn't be the guy that everybody's like hey this guy make him president make him in charge of everything (laughs) um so it's just really funny but was a reminder too that like the your community is just waiting for you to get involved it's not hard to find something that needs to be done and a spot to fill Mm -hmm. um but it does take us showing up you know? Um, and then I think, I think for most of us, if we can just get to know our neighbors, that that is huge. And it sounds really simple, but I mean, most of us have trouble doing that because we're, we're so busy and that's just the speed of life is so fast. We're so overwhelmed. And often we feel like we have so much to do in just our family life, which is perfectly understandable. And there's some seasons where, We just need to be focused on our family life. We don't have the bandwidth to be focused elsewhere. And that's okay. There's seasons like that for everyone. But um, I think that just the simple act of inviting your neighbors over to have dinner at your house and getting to know them, it sounds so simple, but it's actually very revolutionary and very unusual Mm -hmm. in our culture. Yeah, very much so. Our first little apartment that my husband and I moved into after we got married, we didn't know our neighbors and it wasn't for lack of trying. There was, but it was just very much like everyone had their own schedule. There wasn't room in the margins to encounter each other. And so the idea of like, hey, come over for dinner is radical. It's super simplistic, but so beautifully radical and very much like living the gospel values. Like what did the Lord do? He sat down and broke bread with people and got to know them and encountered them through a meal. And so, yeah, just that simple act of like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Come on over is Mm -hmm. something that's, yeah, our world doesn't really know what to do with that. Yeah. I think that hospitality is so, so important and you don't have to be an amazing cook or keep your house perfect or Mm -hmm. any of those things in order to be a good host and really develop those relationships. I was just, as you were talking, I was just thinking, um, my dad, you know, I came from a white family, but my dad taught at a historically black university Mm -hmm. and would have students over on a frequent basis. And something he'd get told all the time was, um, I've never been invited over to a white person's house, which like sounds so crazy. But when you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, that could totally happen. 
where you would never be inside the home of someone of a different race. You might like know them at work, but like you wouldn't have dinner with them at their house. And so just something like, you know, getting to know a family that is a different race than you are, just has a very different experience, a different kind of life than you have, that that could be a kind of interaction that would be so much more intimate than other interactions you've had and really important for understanding other people's lives. Very much so. And too, like with church community as well, like getting to know the people who sit behind you in church. I know we go to the same, usually the same mass schedule. And so we see the same people over and over. And we were sitting down at a parish picnic a couple weekends ago. And the phrase that I kept hearing was like, I've seen you in mass for like over a year. And I just wanted to stop by and say hi and introduce myself. Like, why has it taken us a year to introduce ourselves to the people that we sit behind every mass? And yeah, it's just this radical idea of like, your community is the same place where you receive the sacraments. And sometimes I think Mm -hmm. there's this differentiation of sacramentality that's what church is for and community is for outside of church that's your your group of friends or your neighborhood and the reality is that with a church family sometimes you know those that's where both of those worlds mesh and you have community and the sacraments I think that's such a good point and like thinking back a few decades ago um, especially the way that parishes were set up and the way neighborhoods were set up it would make a lot of sense that the people that you sat next to at mass might also be your next door neighbor. Right. You know, you might live in like a Catholic neighborhood or an ethnic neighborhood that was Catholic. And so you're all, you're, you're going to mass, you're receiving the sacraments, you're leaving the church and you're going to eat with people or you're, you know, in your neighborhood. Yeah. And, and, and now, you know, we go to church and to receive the sacraments, which yes, that is what, you know, that's the main goal there. That's Amen. what it's for. But then we're leaving and we don't see anyone else. Right. Um, and so it, that it does require that intentionality now. Um, and so often, you know, I, I love watching people go up to receive the Eucharist because I'm always struck by how different everyone looks, how like on the one hand, human beings are so beautiful and we're also so funny looking. Um, and just, you know, all these different ages and all these different kinds of people and just that we're all sharing this table together in this sacramental supernatural way, um, is so beautiful. And, and then when we can reflect that again, outside the walls of the church, we can reflect that beautiful unity of the Eucharist again. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. I mean, look at the Catholic church is called to a universal um, belonging, a place for people to come exist and unfold and be authentic. And so, yeah, that shouldn't just be something that's happening within the doors of our church, but also within our communities and within our neighborhoods too. Amen. The world needs more of it. (laughs) Can, (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit more about your book, The Grace of Enough? Where can listeners purchase it when it comes out soon? And in the meantime, where can listeners find your writings online? Sure. Well, um, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture is part memoir about our move to the farm and our year there. And then it's informed a lot by Laudato Si, Pope Francis's encyclical. And I just kind of wanted to make it an accessible way for Catholic lay people to who I think, you know, we're all like we talked before, even the secular world is like reaching for something more mm-hmm. <laughs> than what we've been given. Um, and so to offer these, 
these habits and virtues that I think have been very lost in American culture over the past few generations, like simplicity and like hospitality and community and um, take these things and figure out, okay, how, how can we, without moving to a farm, just regular Catholic lay people, how can we live out these things to reorient our lives towards the gospel? And in some ways kind of start this very revolutionary movement that's based in the simplest things like having your neighbor over to dinner. Um, so each chapter kind of focuses on one of those virtues, like whether it's simplicity, you know, living more minimal, minimalist life or hospitality or openness to life. You know, these things that are really against the throwaway culture that feels so against the grain of everything that's around us, mm -hmm. but are so incredibly powerful. And I talk a little bit in the book about how it's kind of like in Narnia, the white witch doesn't understand how strong Aslan's old magic is of yeah. his sacrifice, you know, because it doesn't fit into her schema of power. And I think that the throwaway culture, which Satan has such a hold in, mm. doesn't understand the power of you know the home just yeah. the, the family life in the home of having people over to dinner, of being open to life, of trying to serve our communities, these things that sound so simple, but are so powerful because they're based in, in the gospel. And, um, so that's the gist of, of the book. And it was really fun, really fun to write. And it'll be fun to see it actually reach real people's hands <laughs> in the next few months. Mm -hmm. So it can be, you can order it from Ave Maria Press, the publisher, or from Amazon. It comes out on September 7th. And in the meantime, you can find me at carrotsformicklemas.com or I'm Haley Carrots on most social media on Twitter and on Instagram. So you can find me there as well. And then I've got the podcast Fountains of Carrots that I co-host with Christy Isinger, which is a lot of fun. That's awesome. Oh, that's so good. And all of those will be in the show notes as well for this podcast. So feel free to go click over to, yeah, to the website and check those out. Haley, the last question that I ask women who come on this show, how do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life as a woman who is conscious of living more in a throwaway culture? Yeah, well, I think for me, as someone who grew up Protestant, um, one of at least the top five best things about converting was getting to know Mother Mary. Mm. And in that, in understanding how she is to be honored and reverenced, having a different perspective on my own womanhood yeah. and a different appreciation for what that means, that I'm not um, a second-class citizen in God's world and that there is something powerful and beautiful and unique about womanhood that we honor as Catholics. And that has been so just transformative in my life. And so I think that as um, with a vocation to marriage, and that means my, my family and my children, that the idea of being a life giver um, takes up so that's really what is taking up my energy in a good way at this time. So just, you know, loving my family and being open to the creative life 
whether that's, you know, right now I'm growing this baby and it's been a really rough pregnancy. <laughs> so like most of my energy is going there, mm-hmm. but then also, you know, being open to when I have an idea for a blog post or, you know, a book or any of these things that this creative spark comes upon me that, um, trying to take advantage of, of that creative life that is life giving to me. Um, and so kind of those dual creative processes of being a life giver to my family and then a life giver to words that God might give me. Oh, I love it. Haley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for just your authenticity, the way that you live your life and the witness that you are to being a good steward of what the Lord's given us. And yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Chloe. Thanks for listening to the show. You can check out the show notes for this week's episode at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. There you're going to find links to Haley's blog, Carrots for Michaelmas, and her podcast, Fountains of Carrots, which she co-hosts. Ave Maria, who published Haley's newest book, is offering 20% off her new book, The Grace of Enough, um, if you pre-order the book. And you can find a coupon code for that online on the show notes as well. I want to give a special shout out to a friend here in the KC area, Gina. I met Gina during the first few months of moving to Kansas City, and her desire to be a good steward of God's gifts, and especially of his gift of creation, is inspiring. So if you have a spare minute, send this podcast episode to a woman in your life. Um, That's all I have for this week, so thank you for listening to the episode. And until next time, be not afraid.